How are you all doing? Ready for the word of the Lord today? Okay. If you walk down the hall in the church office, where the pastors have offices on either side of the hall, just before you get to the last door on the left, which is my office, you'll see a little sign there over a bulletin board, and it's just some phrases that we have um, began to apply over the last few years of philosophies about ministry and things that we feel are important to remember. And I ask that that be done up in a little sign and um, just to kind of keep it always in front of us. And one of those signs says this, Plan A is always redemption. Plan A is always redemption. So what do we mean by that? We mean that the first course of action Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whether it's a touchy situation, a a, a difficult problem, something sensitive, you're resolving a problem between a couple of people, it's whatever it is, plan A is always redemption and looking for the redemptive grace of Jesus to be applied to that situation or that relationship or, or whatever it is. Just like you, we face all kinds of conflicts, and this may come as a surprise to you, but not everyone in the church agrees with everything all the time. Did you know that? Not everybody does. And not everyone in the church agrees with everyone else all the time. That may be a newsflash for you as well. Sometimes it's brother against brother, sister against sister, or some combination thereof. But my encouragement to the staff is this. Before you surrender to plan B, Be sure you've given plan A a great shot, that plan A is redemption. A lot of times it would be, many times it would be easier to resort to plan B, but plan A is always the goal. This is not only true for the staff, it's really true for all of us. How many of you know that sometimes people resort to plan B and give up on plan A? How many of you know what I'm talking about? You're not real sure where I'm going yet, I know, but that's true. Many of you have resorted to plan B too early, and you've not given plan A the shot you should have given it. And we will substitute plan B for plan A, most of the time giving up on the better plan. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the very first book of the Bible, which is the book of, just making sure you're awake. Let's turn to chapter 40 in the book of Genesis. I want to take you to a prison cell that Joseph has been in for some time. And he was in this prison cell for doing something that was right. He stood for morality. He was thrown in jail for refusing to sleep with his boss's wife, despite the plot that she had schemed against him. So go with me to that jail cell and and what was the ending result, but I want to show you something that happened that sort of has gotten my attention the last few days, and I want to share it with you today. Health foods is a hot topic today. We are all encouraged to cut down on all kinds of things that we really like to eat. Amen? And we're supposed to put in a substitute that they claim is just like the real thing. But it's not really, is it? Now, let me tell you, I come from a family where southern cooking was the mode of the day. How many know what I'm talking about? Hallelujah. I don't think my folks ever read the ingredients on the package like moms do today when they're in the grocery store or they checked out how many 
fat grams were in the product or anything like that. Everything was fried in Crisco. Hallelujah. Crisco was the answer to most everything. Heavy creams were poured over most everything we ate. My folks had the philosophy, don't read the package, just trust Jesus. Can I get a witness? But today is different. Everyone is looking for substitutes for just about everything. Today, sugar is taboo. That breaks my heart. So we have sweet and low and saccharin and equal and whatever the other things that we have that they think are supposed to taste just like it and really don't. There's substitutes for coffee, and now there are butter substitutes other than margarine because they don't want you to have the trans fat vegetable oil demonic something that they think you get from all of that. There's a substitute for chocolate. They have carob for chocolate. Oh, it tastes just like chocolate. It does not taste just like chocolate. But of all of these things that we have substituted, the one that's really been hard for me to deal with is when Becky started letting me know that we would no longer be drinking whole milk in our house. That hurt. I mean, I grew up on whole milk. And so first, she comes home from the grocery store with 2%, right? And then, then it came to 1%, and then after that is the devil, and then... Um, <laughs> To me, you might as well be drinking white water. Just take some white food coloring and pour it in water and drink it. It's the same thing. So these are substitutions that are supposed to be healthy for us. And today we take the whole substitution thing and replacing plan A with plan B, we take it to other areas. And if you can't afford a high ticket item, you can now buy a knockoff for it, whether it's a watch or a, or a purse. You don't know if a lady is carrying a $2,000 purse or a $20 purse. You just don't know because there's substitutes for everything and anything. But I have to tell you, church, that the worst substitute that there is is when someone substitutes something for God. That's the worst substitute. It's kind of like the little boy that was praying one night, and his parents were with him in the bedroom. And Otto was praying. He says, and dear God, I want you to please bless Mom, and, and, and please bless Dad, and, and I ask you to bless Grandma. And at this point of his prayer, he started screaming the next line. And he says, and God, I also ask you to give me that new bike. So his mother said, Johnny, Johnny. God's not deaf. He said, I know, but Grandma in the next room is, and she's the one that can get me the bike. <laughs> but we're not all that far from Johnny. Because while Johnny is praying, Johnny is also asking someone else to fill in for God at times. And many times... We just don't trust God enough, and so we yell so that people can hear us and get us what we need or to get us out of our situation. And this is where the God substitutes come in. We replace plan A with plan B. And this is something done, done not just by immature Christians or new believers. This is something that can be done by any Christian that's in this place, no matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. And the story in the passage I want you to see is the story of Joseph. This is Joseph who said no to immorality. 
but he says yes to impatience. This is Joseph who says no to bitterness, but he says yes to a substitute to try to get him out of a situation. Joseph is in jail in Genesis chapter 40 because of the scheme of the wife of his boss, Potiphar. She tries to seduce him. He refuses her advances, and then she manufactures the story that actually he had made advances toward her, which was not true. And I want to read to you just a little bit of what happens if you will look at this with me. Genesis chapter 40, and to give the background for you to fully understand where we're going with this, let me start with verse 1. I'm going to read about 15 verses. Sometime later, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, and understand Joseph is in prison here, Pharaoh's chief cupbearer and the chief baker offended their royal master. Pharaoh became angry with these two officials, and he put them in the prison where Joseph was, in the palace of the captain of the guard. They remained in prison for quite some time, and the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, who looked after them. While they were in prison, Joseph's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meaning. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so worried today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Oh, interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream first. In my dream, he said, I saw a grapevine in front of me. The vine had three branches that began to bud and blossom, and soon it produced clusters of ripe grapes. I was holding Pharaoh's wine cup in my hand, so I took a cluster of grapes and squeezed the juice into the cup, and then I placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. This is what the dream means, Joseph said. Three branches represent three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up and restore you to your position as his chief cupbearer. And I want you to particularly notice the next verses because Joseph, after interpreting the cupbearer's dream, says these words. I'm at verse 14. He's talking to the cupbearer. They're both in prison. And please remember me and do me a favor. Some versions say a kindness. Extend to me a kindness when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might let me out of this place. Now, when I read that, I have to believe that Joseph is having a bit of a Johnny shout to grandma moment, grandma in the next room. And I think it should be read more like this, verse 14. And please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so he might get me out of this place. And then look what he starts saying in verse 15. For I was kidnapped from my homeland, the land of the Hebrews, and now I'm here in prison. I did nothing to deserve it. He's making his case to who? To the cup guy. The cup bearer, the cup guy. And all of a sudden, you start to see Joseph crying out to Grandma in the next room. And here's what I want you to keep in mind as we deal with this God substitute. And that is what God says in the chapter before about Joseph, if you will go back to chapter 39, one chapter back, and let me add one verse to this story. Verse 21 of Genesis 39 says this, but the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. Some versions say, and extended kindness to him and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. 
As you read Genesis chapter 40, Joseph moves from dream interpretation to venting. And when you read this, get me out of here. And then when he says to the cupbearer, and extend me some kindness and do me a favor when things go well with you by mentioning me to Pharaoh. I want you to contrast this carefully with me. This is the pivotal point of what we need to hear this morning from the word. Genesis 39, 21 says, The Lord gave him kindness. The Lord showed him his faithful love. Now in Genesis 40, 14, Joseph is asking a convict to give him kindness. God has already given to him what he's trying to get from somebody else. Hello. Hello. Answer your phone, whoever it is. And really, it comes down to this. Whose kindness are you going to depend upon when you're in that situation? Whose kindness should you depend upon? Creator God or a convict? Is that hard to figure out? You see, the danger Joseph was facing was this. He was wanting a man to give him what God had already given to him. The chapter before, we see that God says, I have extended you my kindness. Somehow that wasn't working for him or wasn't good enough. So when he gets his chance to interpret a dream for the cupbearer, the cup guy I call him, he says, would you extend me a kindness? Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. He was looking for someone to give him what God said was already his. I've already extended the kindness to you. And the shift comes with wanting this cupbearer and Pharaoh to be his rescuers when God already said that in the beginning of this journey in jail, when he said, when you said no to immorality, Joseph, and when you were standing up for righteousness, God has already told him, I'm with you and I'm extending kindness to you. So right in the midst Of this jail sentence, it seems that he gets impatient and he starts to give his case to a cup guy to try to get him to speed up the process because he's tired of waiting. Anybody ever been tired of waiting? Three of you, okay. And you're starting to depend upon somebody else to give you what only God can give you. He's looking to a cup guy to be the one that's going to open up the door for him. And that's the danger, church, of making somebody God, or what we're calling today the God substitute. You see it all the time, particularly the danger that begins to happen in relationships. Can I just say this, whether you're single or married here today, would you listen to me carefully for just a moment? You're not going to like it, but I want you to listen to me anyway. To try to establish intimacy with a human before you establish intimacy with God is a train wreck getting ready to take place. To try to establish intimacy with a human before you establish intimacy with God is a train wreck about to take place. I'm about to help some of you here before you get in a mess if you'll listen to me. A secret of marriage is this, intimacy with God before intimacy with people. Are you hearing me this morning? Intimacy with God before intimacy with people. Because when you don't find your needs and who you are in God and you try to find them in somebody else, can I just tell you this? You're in for a rude awakening. Because what you'll get is a wedding, but you will not have a marriage. (laughs) 
And the danger is trying to find acceptance and love and honor from people when you didn't get it from God yet. And what you start to do is to put these God expectations on people who will never, ever, ever, ever be able to meet that need. Because only God can meet those deep inner longings of your life. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. I've told both of my children through the years regarding finding a mate. Sometimes they liked it, sometimes they didn't. I said, find somebody who doesn't need you. Find somebody who doesn't need you. Find somebody who's happy with you or without you. That their happiness and their needs are not dependent upon you. And that is a very healthy thing to tell your kids. Unfortunately, many of us who want to be the savior of someone, or we think we're going to help somebody, we're going to fix somebody. Let me tell you, you don't fix nobody. Ain't nobody fixed nobody yet. Am I telling you the truth? Well, when I get married to him, I'm going to fix some of those things. Honey, you will not fix it. Not going to happen. He's still going to leave the toilet lit up. I'm telling you, every time. If you're in this place and you're single, find an intimate place with God every single day and it will begin to start taking away that impatience that you're feeling. What's happening to you is this. There's a hunger in your soul to find something that only can come from God. And that's why it is so important to do it right. So here's God saying to Joseph, I'm extending kindness to you. And yet here's Joseph saying, cup guy, can you extend me, show me some kindness here. And God's saying, I've already given it to you. You know, if you took out verses 14 and 15 from this whole story of Joseph and just pick it up at 16, the story of Joseph is pretty amazing. Truth is, the favor of God is all over Joseph. If you read about him, he's, he's good-looking, he's well-built, he's, he's administrative. When he runs the household of his boss, things go well. He's got it all together. In fact, the story would seem flawless. But here's Joseph, able to interpret the dream of the cupbearer. And of course, once he did that, he, he was called upon to interpret the, the chief baker, the other guy that wanted his dream interpreted. But if you, if you took out verses 14 and 15... And what Joseph did in those two verses, Joseph would be flawless. But that's not reality. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that they put those two verses in there to show us that even great people of God go through their moments. I've had many people growing up in the church and as a pastor's son, over the years, we would have great people of God come through and speak at our church, friends of my parents and evangelists and, and great leaders in the church, and only to find out, guess what? They're human too. Great people of God go through, go through their moments, and I'm so glad that was put in there, and that's really where Joseph was. He, was. he didn't know what to do in this moment, and Joseph makes his plea to the cup guy that, in these two verses, and, and here's what happens. Let me give you the end of the story with the cup guy. Skip down in your Bible back in chapter 40 to verse 20. Pharaoh's birthday came when? Three days later. Hang on to that. And he prepared a banquet for all of his officials and staff. He summoned his chief cupbearer and chief baker to join the other officials. Let those guys come out of prison and they can come and be a part of the party here. He then restored the chief cupbearer to his former position so he could again hand Pharaoh his cup. 
But Pharaoh impaled the chief baker just as Joseph had predicted when he interpreted his dream. Didn't go so well for the baker. Pharaoh's chief cupbearer, however, what's this say? He what? He forgot all about Joseph, never giving him another thought. So the guy that you are asking to do something that only God can do for you doesn't even remember you. And it didn't take him that long to forget you. How long? Three days. Because as soon as he got his walking papers, he's going, Joseph, who? And I want you to watch what happens in the next verse. It's just the first part of the first verse of the next chapter, chapter 41. I'm going to look at four words. Two full years later. Get the timeline in your mind here. Two full years later. So not only have you been forgotten by the cupbearer that you wanted to help get you out of there, but you've got two full more years to go. And you are not going to find in the cup guy what you can only find in me is what the Lord is saying. Joseph just interpreted the dream for the guy. You're going to be restored in three days, and he was. You're going to hold the cup again, and he did. And please don't forget me, and he did. And now the Bible says Joseph is forgotten. He's forgotten. And when we feel like we've been forgotten, we feel like we've been left in this place that we want to get out of, then we start grasping for straws or reaching for anybody to hear us. Some of you who are fans of Christian artist Israel Houghton have heard his song, I Am Not Forgotten. It's an exciting, encouraging song. Got the drums going and it stirs up the emotions. Great song. But you can listen to it and think of the life of Joseph. And I wonder, I wonder if Joseph could sing this song, I Am Not Forgotten. And I don't know about you, but I feel forgotten a lot. Anybody with me? Two of you, okay. The song is great, but the truth is this, church. There will come times in your life when you feel like you've been forgotten. And it's entirely possible that you feel like God has forgotten you. I have a friend that I sometimes do lunch with. And he's absolutely convinced that because things have not gone well for him, particularly his business, that God has totally forgotten him. Or at best, has no regard for him at all. That somehow he, he has convinced himself in his mind that he's just invisible to God. God just doesn't see him. God doesn't hear him. God has no regard for him. But when Joseph feels like God has forgotten him, and he does what so many of us have done, he appeals to somebody else. And that is such a natural temptation when you feel like you've been forgotten. So if you're here today and you find yourself in a season where you feel forgotten by God, let me tell you something that I learned recently that resonated so loudly with me when I heard it. If you hear nothing else today, hear this next phrase. The teacher is always silent when the test is given. The teacher is always silent when the test is given. Pastor Shaler led the devotions for the staff this last Monday morning. He reminded us the difference between a test and temptation. When you're given a test, it's for your betterment for your improvement. Doesn't feel good, 
but it's for your improvement. When you're being tempted, the enemy's tempting you to bring you down. Test is to make you better. Temptation is to make you worse. The teacher is always silent when the test is given. And when God is silent in your life, guess what? You're being tested. You are not forgotten. You're just in a test. And that's exactly where Joseph was. Joseph was in that test that says, when you feel like you're forgotten, can you hang on and know that God sees you even if you don't like the calendar that he is using and it's a little bit too slow for you? You're frustrated that ministry hasn't opened up and no one has asked you to do yet what you wanted them to ask you to do. And you sing in the choir, but Pastor Brent hasn't asked you to do a solo yet or sing on the worship team. Doesn't he know the level of anointing on my singing voice? I feel your pain. We all know people who are angry with the way they look. They will feel like God has forgotten them. And why did you make me look this way? And why does my body look like this? And they, and they try to find a way to fix it through surgery and thinking to themselves that God has forgotten them because they don't look as good as the other people they see. And we start looking to man to give us kindness when the only person who can extend the kindness that you truly need is God himself. You take plan B and you put it in the place of plan A. And to try to find it in a surgical method or to try to find it behind a microphone or to try to find it on a business card that says CEO or I'm the, or I'm the owner or I'm the manager or I'm the dude in charge or whatever. None of that can give you the acceptance that only God can give you. And you have to recognize that when the teacher is silent, it's not that God has forgotten you. It's just that you are in a test. And you're faced with the issue of who is your cup guy? To whom have you looked to give you what God is trying to give you? It's easy to do this with people. I've done it with people. I've seen other people do it with people. Or trying to make somebody else their cup guy or their plan B. Instead of depending upon God as their provider, they're looking to people to be their provider. I've seen people walk up to folks and say, Hey, would you pray for me? My, my electric bill came in. It was $368.93. And you know what they're doing. They're looking to somebody else to try to help them instead of depending upon the Lord. They're yelling to Grandma in the next room like Johnny did instead of counting on the Lord Jesus to be their Jehovah Jireh and their provider. What they should say is, pray for me. Having a difficult time, pray for me. But sometimes in our effort to throw out the line, we're looking for folks to be the cup guy for us. Instead of trusting God to provide the mate that we need, some of you are sitting here during the worship time hoping that that man will hold up his left hand to see if there's a ring on that finger. And don't pretend you don't know what I'm talking about. I see you do it. Everyone's worshiping the Lord and you're going, oh God, please let him put up that left hand, please. And all of a sudden here comes a hand and you're going, no! God, you've forgotten me! And I thought I heard your voice and he was the one. <laughs> Joseph says, mention me to Pharaoh. Let me just tell you, God is able to mention Joseph to Pharaoh and he does mention Joseph to Pharaoh the very next time that Pharaoh needed a dream interpreter. We may see limits and boundaries and blockages in the way and why something can't happen 
as we look in the natural and through natural eyes, but God can break through any barrier and go anywhere he needs to on your behalf because he can do what no other power can do. Can you say amen to that today? It's a song the choir sings, and we've usually sung it at a mission service. Reach every mountaintop. Search every valley low. There's no place that you can't go, Spirit of God. And just about the time you're trying to get a message to somebody or you're trying to make things happen, guess what? The Lord can get that message to somebody better than you can. The Spirit of God can, through His working and through His mighty hand, what He does, He can make things happen in a way according to His calendar and His timing in a way that you could never do and you could never get your cup guy to do it either. Come on, say amen to that today. God goes, let me do it. Don't try to step in line in front of me. So how does God mention Joseph to Pharaoh? He gives Pharaoh a a dream in chapter 41. And then guess who remembers Joseph, the cup guy. He says, you know, cup guy is now in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's needing his dream interpreted. There's a guy, convict number 37283. He tells dreams. He interprets dreams. And here we are two years later, and God says, now. I'm going to give Pharaoh a dream, and I'm the one who's going to get you out of here through this dream, not through the cup guy. What is a God substitute? It's depending on man to do what only God can do. That's what a substitute is. And why do we do it? Why do we go for the substitute? Because you can't wait any longer. I don't like where God has me right now. I feel like my time is up, and all of a sudden, like substitutes, if you go that direction, it may look right, you may think it's right, but guess what? It won't taste right. Substitutes stink. I don't know about you. I want salt, not a substitute. I want sugar, not a substitute. I want whole milk. I want chocolate. The only thing you respond to this message is chocolate so far today. In Joseph's opinion, he's been there too long and his time is up. But on God's calendar, God says, No, you got two more years, buddy. And so you better decide who you're going to depend upon here. Are you like me? Do you ever get tired of the same old, same old? Stuck in the same old, you know, same house, same bills. Some of you are saying, I got the same old husband. Oh, husband, no, I didn't mean to take that part out. Same old job. You feel like you're in this prison, and, the, and then people start becoming your ticket instead of the Lord. You start looking for a substitute to get out. Now, just fill in the blank. Don't say this out loud, but fill in the blank in your mind. God, get me out of this whatever job relationship. This sickness. I'm so tired of medications and what they do to me. Get me out of this dialysis. Get me out of this mess. What is it that you're trying to get out of today? Look at verse verse 14 one more time with me. Please remember me and do me a favor when things go well for you. Mention me to Pharaoh so that he might let me out of this place. He must be thinking. I have to rationalize. He must be thinking. Get me out of here because obviously God isn't. 
Doesn't he remember that I stood up for morality? Doesn't he remember when when others were doing wrong, I was doing right? Doesn't God remember how faithful I've been to church or how diligently I've served in ministry for years and years? Why doesn't he remember that? And he's left me stuck here. And after all that talk, the Bible says the cup guy forgets it. Because when you put your hope in man, man will always let you down. The church won't meet all your expectations as much as it wants to. The pastor surely won't meet all your expectations, and he'll certainly let you down. Only but dust. And not only does God remember him, God says, now watch me go straight to Pharaoh and you're going to get promoted to second charge of the planet, but it will be in my timing. Because when a test is being given, the teacher is always. And when you feel like God is silent, you're probably being tested. I just want to tell you this today, church. Wherever you are, for whomever this message is for, God has not God has not forgotten you. He sees every person in this room. He sees you every moment of the day. And let me tell you something that is just crazy to me. He thinks about you thousands upon thousands of times a day. You! Yes, you! The one that feels forgotten. He's not this busy guy all stressed out over trying to multitask with six billion people talking to him at the same time. No, he's not nervous about that. That's not what God's doing. He's thinking about you today. If you don't believe me, let me point you to Psalm 139, verse 17 that says, How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. David was simply saying, God, you are always thinking about me. Always, and I can't even begin to count how often you think about me. I know I don't deserve it. If I were you, I wouldn't be thinking about me. But you do thousands upon thousands of times a day. I can't count any more than I can count the sands of the sea. As I close, I don't want to be irreverent, by the way, by this thought, but it struck me this way. I absolutely believe that God is so in love with you and with me, with us. I really do. I think he's like a lovesick junior high kid. Let me tell you why. How many remember falling in love when you were in junior high school? Hmm. You remember when you would get a number or a name of someone? This is before we had cell phones and iPhones and before we had... Talk to Siri about it, you know, before all of that stuff. There was no command S or control S to put it on the hard drive. I'm talking about the good old days. So if you need to remember your number or remember your locker number, and all you had was a pen in your hand, where did you write it? You with me? How many of you would write stuff all over your hand other than answers to a test? What's that locker number? What's your name? And then they might give you your number. I even remember, this is going to go back, a little reminiscent trivia here. I remember when phone numbers started with letters. Anybody with me? Granite 14698. 
Some of you remember when it was letters. Why would you put it on your hand? Why didn't you write it on your shin? Why didn't you write it on your sock? You didn't write it on your stomach. You didn't even write it on your arm. You know why you wrote it on your hand? Because this is the most exposed place of the body. And you can look at it anytime and often. It's right here. What's her locker number? Pow! What's her name? What's her number? Hallelujah. <laughs> and that's what we do. It's the most exposed part. It's right here accessible. We can see it right now. Isaiah 49 says this. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And listen to God's response. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, behold, I have written your name on the palm of my hand. The Lord says, I'm so in love with you, I have your name written on the palm of my hand. And thousands upon thousands of, time, of times each day, I go, wow, look, J. Daniel. Man, I love him. Look, Becky Sue. She is so gorgeous. <laughs> thousands upon thousands of times. Parents, teach your kids that. You want to instill self uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Appropriate confidence, self-esteem, appropriate healthy self-esteem. Remind them it doesn't come from somebody else. They're not going to get it from their friends in school. They're not going to get it from whoever's cool. That's not going to happen that way. Remind them that they are thought of thousands upon thousands of times a day. He has their name written on the palm of his hand. And guess what? I believe that every time he looks at the scars in his hands, he sees my name and he sees your name. Hallelujah. He has not forgotten you. That's why I say it's like a lovesick junior high student. What seems like a moment where you're asking, have you forgotten me? God says, no, it's thousands of times a day. Psalm 139. You've forgotten me? No, your name is inscribed on my hand. Isaiah 49. And remember, church, there's not a substitute in the world that can ever taste like God. Because it's only with God that you can say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, give Jesus praise today. Bow your head for a moment. This service is not dismissed. I'm not asking you to leave. I want you to respect this time of the service, please. Some folks think they have to slip out so early, right at the most critical part of the service. Think of these words. God, get me out of here. Joseph used those words, get me out of prison. Get me out of this job, this city, this situation. Get me out of debt. 
You're thinking those thoughts constantly and you say, God, I've asked. It hasn't happened in your timing and so you're looking for a cup guy. You're looking for plan B to help you. Cup guys that might be websites, guys that might seem like a bunch of other places. But for just a moment today, we're gonna say, God, no more cup guys, no more plan B. We're gonna trust you, no more substitutes today. We want you, we want the real thing, we want Jesus. No substitutes, oh God, we want your kindness, we want your faithfulness, we want your mercy. Let me just ask you directly in the closing moments of this service, is there anybody in the room that's been trying to go with plan B? You've been looking for the cup guy to get you out of your situation instead of depending upon the Lord? But you're saying, today I'm hearing the message loud and clear that God has asked, what God is asking me to do is to wait on him. Yeah, Pastor Dan, I'm hearing the message. He's not forgotten me, and I get it. I'm going to say this, what this altar is today. And by the way, response to a message, a response to an altar is for people who are maybe have never known Christ and people who have been believers for 80 years. It's because you walk forward and you step out of your seat where you are and you come forward, it's, it's nothing more than a res- the fact that your heart is resonating with the word that was given today, and you're responding to the Lord. You're taking a step of faith and saying, yes, that was for me, and I want prayer today. Some of you may be already ready to respond to the opening of this altar, but this altar today is open to those who are saying in their heart, I'm ready to forget plan B that I've tried to go after because I didn't like God's calendar. I'm going to forget the cup guy and any other substitute. I'm choosing this day to trust in the kindness of the Lord. I want the real thing. I want substitute. If this is you, get up from where you are right now and come down here so we can just have a word of prayer together as we are closing the service. Because God has not forgotten you no matter how long you've been in the situation, no matter how long you've been in the place that you're in, no matter how long you've been in that circumstance. We'll wait on you if you're coming from the balcony. That's fine. Just make your way down to the front. You're ready to say today, you're ready to respond to the word of the Lord and say, God, I'm going to choose to trust you in this thing. I'm not going to scheme. I'm not going to connive. I'm not going to try to bring in somebody else. I'm going to say, God, you're in charge of this. Just get up from where you are seated right now and meet me here at the front for just a word of prayer as we commit it to God. You're ready to put it back on track with plan A. Plan A is trusting God. And you recognize that you've tried. It wasn't... That didn't work for you fast enough, and so you've gone to somebody else. Come on. We'll wait for you here. We're just going to have a word of prayer. Maybe you're in this place today, and you realize it's like an email that I received this past week. You have folks coming in this house every week that have never accepted Christ. Maybe you're realizing that you've, you've never made a commitment to Christ. You've known about him. You've, maybe you were raised in some church somewhere that told you about him, but you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said, I want to commit my life to him. And something about the message today resonated with your heart. You said, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I'm going to choose to turn my life over to him. If that's you, just get up from where you are and join these others who are already down here. Someone will be willing to pray with you. You're ready to say yes to Jesus. If that's you, do it right now.